welcome to The Last Wicket. I'm your host, Benny, and thank you for tuning in. Folks, this week, my fellow co-host, Mayank, and I had the great pleasure of revisiting one of the more exciting test series in recent memory. At the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic, a hobbling Indian side toured Australia for a contest that unearthed new heroes and an outcome that few saw coming at the end of the first test. We look back at this series through the prism of a new book authored by Bharat Sundaresan and Gaurav Joshi, The Miracle Makers. Joining us for this conversation was fellow cricket tragic, Tarek Lasker. The three of us discussed some fascinating anecdotes from the book, the relationship between the authors and the Indian team, which resulted in remarkable insights, the young talents that shaped an unlikely win overseen by a battle-hardened team management, and where this test series stands in the pantheon of the game's history. So keep listening for a trip down memory lane that I suspect many of us will be revisiting several times. Stay tuned. So, so Tariq, um, this series that we're going to be talking about, well, we're going to be talking about this book uh, by Bharat Sundaresan, and um, The American Makers, but... The, the series that we're going to talk about, it, it, it's going to be, it is special to me. And I feel like it's going to be one of these series that I will never, ever forget. Uh, I've been following cricket and especially Indian cricket for 25 years, almost. Um, actually, it's 27 years. I'm old. Uh, and there are very few series that just stay in my mind. The 2001 India Australia series, uh, the 2005 Ashes. Um, and, I mean, I'm, I'm just sticking to test series. And then this this series that we're going to be talking about, the 2020 2021 India Tour of Australia, uh, just because of the context, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, you know, and we'll talk more about it, of course, but just players dropping left and right. Uh, by no common sense should India have won that series, should not even have drawn that series, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just one of those memorable um, test contests that shaped up. And so I was waiting for some documentary or like uh, a book that goes in depth. And of course, full disclosure, I have not read this book yet, but I know that you and Mike have. And so I'm really curious about uh, your thoughts on it. So, I just want to get like a very quick, you know, it's been two years now or just over two years. Looking back, like what what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of that series? Right. Uh, I think the first thing that comes to my mind, which would be to a lot of other people as well, I would guess, would be the the GABA test, the the finishing of the GABA test, because that that was just such a cathartic and uh, exciting moment generally because like you said um, India had no business being being competitive in the series in the first place given all that had happened leading up to it and through it um, and especially because the the uh, Gabba team itself was so remarkable uh, there were so many uh, new faces who never played in Australia really uh, let alone having played in a test match uh, at a venue which has uh, so much of a history for Australia, which is, uh, you know, everybody kept calling it the fortress. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it happened to be that a ragtag army kind of just uh, took took the fortress down and it was like, 
the Death Star going down in in A New Hope, right? Uh, that it's just it's just a, a small band of rebels who's just gone and done it. But uh, I think uh, another reason why I remember most um, this the final test is because uh, that was also the only bit of blogging that I did during that series because that uh, mm-hmm. I wrote a piece uh, about the uh, about the Gabba test and uh, I called it how to dismantle a fortress um, and 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 that's uh, kind of why it stays with me. Um, yeah, and and beyond that, I think it was it was just the um, just the surreal feeling of having sort of India cricket back after uh, after uh, the suspension since since the pandemic. Because I know we had an IPL before that, but uh, I think you guys would both agree that uh, you know India cricket hits different, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, you know, no, you're you're absolutely right, and. Uh, let, let's just get into the book because you know, that's one of the nice things about reading accounts of people who were there up close on the ground around the players and officials capturing history as it's happening, uh, all the different anecdotes, but also just behind the scenes or, or more details of what the rest of us got to see on the television screens. And I, I, I should also clarify that this book was Bharat Federation and God of Joshi. Um, and the book is Miracle Makers. But Mike, uh, why don't you take over and we'll just go from there. Absolutely, yeah. So I guess the first thing that comes to mind, obviously, you know, the way you describe it was very similar for a lot of us Indian fans, uh, the series itself. But what I loved about the book is just with how the series panned out, how Bharat and Gaurav were one of the, you know, few journalists who had access to the teams and, and a lot of the press conferences and things like that, practice sessions. There were a lot of really wonderful anecdotes, which obviously we didn't see. Um, so let's start there, I guess. What? Uh, why don't you share some anecdotes that you know stood out to you that you thought were fascinating? Right. So uh, a couple of them. And in fact, there are so many great anecdotes here, uh, which you just want to sort of like go and scream to the nearest person possible because <laughs> uh, they're, they're just so great in terms of the kind of insight they provide. Right. And, and I think... Uh, it would be a slight disservice to to both Bharat and Gaurav uh, to to give out too many of them. So I'll probably just go with with two that that really stood out for me uh, among those. I think one of them I had put out on on Twitter as well, um, which was very quintessentially Ravi Shastri. Uh, this was I think after the the whole concussion sub saga that had happened with uh, with Ravindra Jadeja in, in I think it was the third T uh, Twenty um, right. or the second T Twenty. So. Uh, I think he got hit in the head and uh, uh, batted out the over. But during the uh, change of innings, they went and uh, requested David Boone for uh, the, the concussion sub, and it was allowed. And uh, a lot of the Australians were not obviously very happy about it because they swapped him out for a uh, so-called like-for-like replacement, which turned out to be a bowler. Um, so th- those things, uh, you know, uh, obviously irked them. And uh, I think... Bharat uh, writes that uh, they, they published a story where he said, uh, I quoted a senior uh, Indian team official saying that uh, we would never use uh, uh, one of our uh, batters getting hit in the helmet as uh, as an excuse for things like this. It was obviously an actual case of concussion, etc. 
and and the next day he goes uh, goes to the trading ground and uh, Ravi Shastri sees him and he he just loudly and I can just hear it in Ravi Shastri's voice. He said, "Are what senior official? Yeah, you should have just bloody put my name in there and quoted me because I want people to know what what I thought about this nonsense." So that's that's so quintessentially Shastri that it comes out that he he is somebody who you know does not pull a punch uh, when it comes to the uh, the way he operates. Uh, and and I thought it was a lovely insight, like you said, that uh, it's it's great to know the behind the scenes because these are two things you'd have otherwise not known if it had not been a journalist's firsthand uh, uh, firsthand narration. And uh, the second one that stood out, and I think we'll revisit this aspect a little later because I think uh, we have to talk about uh, uh, Ajinkya Rahane in the context of this series, uh, given his his contribution. But uh, in the Ajinkya Rahane chapter, when Bharat talks about him, uh, there's an anecdote that he ends the chapter with, which is that Ajinkya Rahane is such a quintessentially uh, nice and empathetic person that uh, after he got back home, his, uh, uh, I think, housing society, uh, you know, threw a party uh, to celebrate the win and they brought in a cake and they asked him to cut the cake. And he refused to do it because uh, there was a kangaroo on top of the cake. And he said that you know, it might be disrespectful to sort of you know, cut through the kangaroo for this, uh, to celebrate this win. Uh, so he kind of politely refrained from that, which, which I think, again, um, is a throwaway anecdote, but it's such a great insight into uh, the, the cricketer and the person that probably Rani is. So you know, I, I found at least those two. Um, I've, I've been screaming all of these anecdotes around in the office to everybody. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, anybody who will listen, I've been telling them about it. But, but uh, yeah, to answer your question, those, those two really stood out to me. Isn't it, isn't it incredible that this historic win was fashioned or at least overseen by two contrasting personalities in Ravi Shastri and Ajinkya Rahane? Like, I cannot picture the two of them together. <laughs> it's, it's so strange. And somehow they shaped it. I mean, especially, I mean, I, I, it just skipped my mind that Virat Kohli wasn't there after the first test. Yeah, yeah. And so you're right. And especially after that 36, it's not necessarily all out, it's 36 for nine, I would say. Uh, but, you know, there were so many experts quick to jump in and say, okay, that's it. India's going to get whitewashed, uh, especially with Kohli leaving. And then these two fashioned something incredible. Uh, what are your thoughts on, uh, just this combination and, you know, how crucial it was for India to pick themselves up after that first test. I think, uh, obviously, it was because when when uh, you have something like uh, a freak of nature innings like that, that 36 for nine, which uh, everybody talks about this aspect that I think Ravish Astri has talked about it, the, the team themselves have talked about it. Um, I think it's been talked quite a lot about on air as well that this was an innings where there were very few plays and misses which uh, kind of tells mm-hmm. you that it was just unbelievably good bowling I think uh, Ravi Shastri said that oh god must have gotten into like Australia's dressing room and, and that's the <laughs> only explanation we have uh, because if everybody was getting uh, absolute uh, peaches of deliveries that they were uh, either edging or uh, not able to play and, and that's how it just suddenly went from, I think India were like 15 for one or 15 for two or something like that. And uh, from there, it just uh, 
quickly devolved into sort of like I think 20, 26 for nine or close to that. Uh, and right. and then obviously after the injury, it was it was 36, uh, 36 for nine in innings close. Uh, partially in in terms of uh, the the recovery, I think uh, somebody like Ravishastri had a huge role to play because he essentially went and told them that you you forget about it uh, because he told them the same thing that it's it's a freak of an innings that I have never seen in my life. It does not seem to bear any specific explanation in terms of uh, that, oh, there was something wrong with the technique or there was something off with the approach or uh, the batters committed harakiri in the sense that uh, they played. I mean, you could fault, for example, Australia in the recent series uh, in the innings that they played in, in Delhi, where uh, you could say that there was uh, technique or lack thereof or maybe... Uh, the the incorrect kind of approach that could have uh, led to their downfall in that innings because some of the short choices were were not great. Whereas here, I just said this happens. In fact, uh, I know this is going to put an E uh, uh, next to the episode on your uh, feed, but uh, just said shit happens. You know, uh, the book I remember it is written in capitals, um, and and he just told them to to sort of. Uh, Plus that out of their system and and move on to the next thing. So they, I think, had a gathering later on in the evening where they just sort of uh, just to uh, g them up and sort of lift their spirits. Uh, so I think Bharadarun's quoted in the book uh, saying that if somebody had seen this situation from the outside, uh, they would not be quite uh, quite sure whether we were uh, celebrating the thirty six or mourning the thirty six um, mm. because it moved on pretty quickly in terms of a in terms of a mindset. And I think that's a very crucial aspect of this whole narrative and the story of, of this series, uh, which is that this mindset was not an accident. This had been cultivated um, by, uh, I think, both uh, Virat Kohli and Ravi Shastri because it's essentially the bookend to the Virat Kohli-Ravi Shastri era, uh, which began mm-hmm. sort of 10, almost um, six, seven years ago from when the, when the series ended. And uh, he had pushed this idea quite a lot. I think we've, we've seen and everybody's discussed uh, statements like uh, saying, oh, pitch ko nikalo game se and things like that, which, uh, which are, you know, quite famous quotes of Shastri's. Uh, but they're not just sort of, uh, you know, motivational posters to put up there because he um, actually did implement them in, in person as well. Uh, and the other point that you brought out about uh, uh, Rahane and, and Shastri being very uh, sort of polar opposite uh, opposite characters. Uh, I think there as well why the dynamic works is because um, Shastri enjoys being uh, being forthright. Uh, so at some point, I think they mentioned that they they call their approach um, kind of firm but fair kind of an approach. That if if somebody needs a talking to, they would, they would do it, but but with empathy and and with understanding rather than uh, you know this notion that the the coach or uh, the uh, the other specialist coaches like the bowling coaches and all that have to uh, always be a taskmaster or an enforcer who have to sort of pull people up so i think that uh, allowed the dressing room to have uh, this this camaraderie where all these different characters could sort of um, bond and I think that played a huge, huge part in, in the series from from my reading, at least. Does the book uh, um, 
actually bring up the fact, uh, I, I, I don't know if this quote is actually true or not, but after that 36 for nine that Ravi Shastri says, wear it like a badge uh, of honor or wear it like a badge. It, it, does the book actually mention that? Yeah, it, it, it does mention it, in fact. Uh, okay, and and uh, <laughs> he, he specifically told them, and again, the same thing that he said, uh, essentially what he was trying to convey, I think, was that uh, you know things can't get worse than that, right? So you've survived that. Right, right. So you can basically survive everything. You can apply that in life. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, it's, it's fascinating because I, you know, I'm, I think people who've known me and followed my my cricketing thoughts or have known for a while that Rahul Dravid has been my hero since 2003 and, and all of that. And, you know, I, I find it really hard to criticize him, even though I'm, uh, I think of myself as a grown rational man. And <laughs> yet I like read all these stories and I think if Rahul Dravid was in those shoes in that day, in, in that series, I don't think we would have been that successful. Um, and and the reason for that is not just, you know, the, the anecdote that's, that you mentioned, but just last month I was reading Art Sridhar's book. And, uh, and I think many of us have also listened to uh, Ashwin's YouTube channel, uh, where he, you know, even though it was in Tamil, I watched with some of the subtitles, um, as he narrated some of the stories, how India actually got to Australia, all the hurdles there, and Ravi Shastri at every step put his foot down and, you know, said, cut the BS, I'm, you know, we've done our 14 days, uh, we're not going to, we're supposed to have the same rights as Australian citizens, you can't change the rules now, I'm going to go to the bar and have a beer, you're welcome to join me, but this is not okay. And, you know, he had the, the balls to talk to the commissioner at that point like that, and I'm sure that allowed the people, uh, the players in the, in the dressing room to be a lot more comfortable, a lot more free after, you know, days in, in a hotel room. Um, and yeah, just looking back at that, I, I don't see how Rahul David would have provided the same sort of support. I'm you know, not necessarily saying he would have been a bad coach in that moment. Yeah. But, um, no, you're... Not the personality we, we needed, I guess. No, you, you're totally right. Like, so from a purely uh, amateur cricket fan take, uh, my assessment is Rahul Dravid, great human being, great player, coach, all of that. But he's very analytical, right? Like he's a student of the game. And I feel if he was coach uh, in that series after that first test, he would have gone a more analytical route. He would have assessed, okay, where did we go wrong? How do we fix it? Ravi Shastri, on the other hand, is all vibes, right? Radiating, like, let's fight back and, like, giving all these inspirational speeches and, like, let's charge. And I think that team, especially after Virat left, needed Shastri's approach. I feel like we would not have had the same result with Dravid because we were just going to fight back with with a more very clinical, analytical uh, approach, but it needed something else, which I think Shastri was in the right place at the right time. I, I will disagree with you a little bit, Benny, because I, I think we don't give Shastri enough credit about his, with his cricketing brain. I, I think there's there was an anecdote uh, at the MCG test where just before the toss, after India lost the toss and we were bowling first, that he went up to Rahane and said, there's a little bit of moisture in the wicket, just bring Ashwin on before the 10th over. And of course, Ashwin got a wicket in, in the 11th over or 9th over, something like that. 
And and so obviously he's a great reader of the game. Uh, I don't know if he really you know tries to show that. I think that's where the difference is. Mm-hmm. So he's a, clearly a really good reader of the game, but he has a different way of managing people, and he thinks that is his main job. When needed, he's and, and not just this book, but again Arshinder's book I'll refer to again. He's shared some really good anecdotes to with Rishabh Pant, for example, who was who was taking on a risk and. He just said, well, you can also play the reverse sweep. You're a great player of that shot. Why don't you open up that side of the field? You know, he would just walk up and randomly drop an, uh, you know, knowledgeable bit like that. So I think, I mean, I understand why there's that perception that he's all about, like, the attitude and this. But at the end of the day, even he understands that, you know, there's cricketing logic that dictates what happens out there. And he'll do his best to drop those you know, one-liners or whatever piece of advice. Um, but I think the difference is probably that he just lets individual players have a lot more ownership, I guess. That's probably the better way to put it, in my opinion. Speaking of Shastri, you know, we've spoken about him already, and he's such a character that it's, it's hard to miss. Um, but speaking of Shastri, the one thing that really fascinated me about this book was, um, you know, the last, I would say, 10 years, the Indian cricket team has always been hostile to journalists. Uh, whether it was MS Dhoni, um, you know, Ashwin, uh, Rahane, Kohli, you name it. Like, they've been defensive. Uh, there was one time when Ravi Shastri, the, you know, almost thundered in a press conference and said, where is that Sid Munga? And, you know, as if questioning the intention of a journalist, which obviously is, is not a great look on, on an international coach. And having all of that background, I was very, very surprised to see the relationship that he had with Gaurav and, and Bharat. Um, it, it came to me as a you know bit of a surprise. Uh, Tariq, what are your thoughts about that relationship and really the importance of that relationship, you know, between that trust between the players and the media? I think um, it, it obviously is important because uh, whatever the players say or whatever, uh, for that matter, the media says, uh, eventually it's a symbiotic relationship. Uh, A lot of uh, the whole experience of the game for us fans is kind of driven by that because uh, the media, as the name suggests, happens to be a mediator between us and uh, uh, the the players uh, or us being able to uh, glimpse things which otherwise we would not be able to apart from you know, whatever we watch right. on, on TV or at the ground. Um, so clearly it's, uh, it's extremely important, but uh, with Indian cricket, it's probably one of the most uh, uh, restrictive, uh, I would say, in terms of allowing access to, to players and uh, players and staff, uh, because I think that the BCCI is very particular. You have to chase uh, uh, players for, for a very long time to... Uh, Try and get maybe let's say an interview, or even if you do, you know the kind of things you could you could discuss, or uh, the kind of things you could ask might probably be dictated. So there is a lot of that, which which uh, incidentally is not as uh, stringent, I would say, in in other cricket playing countries. So uh, we were uh, talking to uh, Osman Samuddin from. Uh, Pakistan a few days ago uh, on on another podcast and he mentioned that the, the very first interview he was given to do w- was to talk to Rashid Latif when he was made the captain out of nowhere um, I think uh, this was some early 2000s or something like that or, or 90s late 90s 
and uh, all he did was he just called up the PCB and asked for the phone number, and they just gave him the phone number, and he just called up, called up the phone, and and he got a response. Uh, whereas it's not been the case with with Indian cricketers for various reasons, um, but I think that has led to uh, a little bit of the adversarial nature that you are talking about, where there have been situations where they have uh, sort of been at odds with each other. What comes out from um, from Bharat's descriptions uh, about their uh, sort of dynamic with with uh, uh, Ravi Shastri and Bharat Arun actually uh, is is that this is something that goes way back. So they have been interacting for a long time, which is why they're they're good with uh, you know wherever they are, uh, they're always sort of making plans to catch up because I think when the um, when the initial isolation and quarantine was going on. They're already sort of discussing that oh, we'll, once this thing ends, we'll uh, we'll meet at the bar or we'll meet for lunch. And there are a lot of instances. I'm, I mean, you have read the book, so you you know that as well. That there are so many instances where they're talking about having these kind of offline conversations and not necessarily always um, because they're working on a story or something like that. So I think that's what uh, has has cultivated that uh, that trust. There seems to be um, uh, a mutual respect as well. Uh, so I guess. The the key aspect there uh, is trust that you know in any journalistic relationship really uh, that's what that's what drives it that the the subject uh, knows that the journalistic intentions are correct uh, like you said the whole Sid Monga episode was was something where I guess on on both sides intentions were misunderstood um, whereas here it seems to be a, a, a much more uh, Cordial and uh, uh, cordial relationship and something driven by by mutual trust. So that's uh, that's what struck me really. Um, but I think this is probably uh, an exception to the to the rule in that sense because otherwise, if you speak to a lot of senior journalists, everybody will have some sort of access or the other to uh, certain players because uh, again, another aspect that comes out of the book is. How much the players are also sometimes dependent on uh, the journalists to be able to uh, keep up with developments because they were peppering them with messages about, you know, uh, what was Cricket Australia doing, what were they thinking, how how will this tour pan out? That was before the tour tour was was finalized right. and was happening. Um, so so that's why the mutual trust becomes uh, extremely necessary. Absolutely, and I mean I think. The other aspect to it is also, um, you know, not talked about as much as social media. Like I think that has given players direct access to reach you know, sponsors, fans, whoever they need to, um, which has unfortunately also diminished that role of the media. And and to be fair, like there definitely are plenty of media people who are there for clickbait stuff and and things like that. So you can to some extent understand players and coaches being a little wary of, of the media. But um, I guess as you were as you were saying that, you know, the, the fact that they had a relationship over a lot of years, the other aspect that comes to mind is if you are a young journalist and you want to grow in cricket, I think this the, the, the lesson here is obviously like do the right things and all of that, build trust, but covering people from a young age also makes a big difference. Like a lot of these journalists, Bharat I know, for example, has covered a lot of Ranji cricket. Uh, when you're on those Ranji grounds, there's not a lot of people. You get direct access to coaches, young players, um, 
so that helps. Uh, so I think if you know somebody listening is a aspiring journalist, I think that's that's where I would start. Like I would try to build those relationships right from Ranji Profi, maybe even under 19 levels, and and uh, try to work through those because I think at the end of the day, those like with anything in, in life, relationships is is what takes you places. So um, it, it's it's a fascinating insight and. And as fans, for us, it's important because we get all the anecdotes we just discussed. Like I, I think we wouldn't have gotten a, f- a fraction of that if not for if not for people like Bharat. No, and and uh, having some kind of common interest helps, I guess, because Bharat and uh, Ravindra Jadeja were talking about uh, hair care tips when uh, I think Jadeja was doing <laughs> his test. test so. That's right. <laughs> So let's let's get into the series. Um, I, I think Benny already sort of you know kind of mentioned it, but like when the Indian batters were walking into bat on day five at the GABA, um, the trick quiz prediction was there's a one percent chance that India is going to win. Um, but it's not just about the performances. There's like so much context to this whole series. Uh, one, uh, as we said, you know, majority of people due to COVID were sitting at home. Uh, it was the first major India series after COVID, so there were a lot of people sitting at home, able to manage their work or whatever and make time for the series, so a lot more viewership. Then there's a whole aspect where Mohammed Siraj comes back, you know, comes to tour Australia for the first time with the Indian team, loses his father, unfortunately cannot go back, and then he faces racism at the SCG. Um, there's incidents like Rohit and Pant going out for lunch and with a couple of other people and there's an almost breach because they hang out with the fans for a little bit something like that and of course all the changing stories around you know covid and in that australian lineup and i've not even mentioned the injuries i've not mentioned the players unavailable and you know just how good that australian team was like i mean that that team had thousand test wickets in that fourth test and indian team had eight test matches Uh eight test caps so just the odds were all against us. So uh, saying all that, I guess, where do you rate this series in terms of the history of cricket that you've seen and the history of Indian cricket? So I I would rate it right right near the top. So I think Benny mentioned a little while earlier at the at the beginning about the 2005 Ashes and uh, the 2001 India Australia series, obviously because that was a very formative experience for uh, for a lot of cricket fans going, growing up in the 90s. Uh, so those would be considered sort of the, the pinnacle of these narrative twists and turns that came all, all through the series. Uh, I absolutely loved the 2001 series, uh, not just because India won, but at the, that was a time when these things were so much more rare that, you know, after India lost the first test in Mumbai in that, in that series, you really did not think uh, they would be able to make a comeback. And of course, we all know uh, that by the end of day two in Kolkata, things were not looking that great either. Uh, but uh, at the same time, this series, just for the couple of contexts that you mentioned, which is one, it being played through COVID, which made it so much more complicated, not just logistically, but you know, mentally and physically as well, because to break out of, of an isolation and, and then to have to train in such extraordinary circumstances, again, some of which is laid out very brilliantly in the, in, in the book. Uh, 
so just that context and to add to it the almost near fairy tale level of uh, things that were happening especially uh, the sydney test and the and the gaba test i mean i'm not discounting the mcg test it was a it was a terrific test match it was um, uh, india played some outstanding cricket but then as they progressively started sort of losing some of the more experienced players to to injury and to go in with that kind of a team and to win at a venue where australia have not lost in sort of 30 years but also win in such style uh, by just sort of staying within striking distance for the entire test match like you said that at the beginning of the day the win percentage for india was very low uh, the the draw percentage was i think reasonably high and obviously australia were were pitted as potential favorites um so all that combined i think i i would rate this right right near at the top uh the 2005 ashes if you were to bring that up i enjoyed that as well but for obvious reasons being an indian cricket fan you kind of tend to be biased towards series that that did feature india uh and and uh, series featuring especially india and australia somehow tend to be among the most dramatic we've seen what happened in uh, 2003 4 we have seen 2007 8 in fact uh, before the gabba test my favorite test uh, ever of india and australia was uh, the the 2008 uh, was it 2008 uh, the one at perth uh, where again australia were coming on the back of 16 straight uh, test match wins you know deja vu to kolkata um <laughs> and australia were playing at a venue that uh, they had not lost in for uh, i don't know how many years and it was a nightmare venue for india has been over the years so that performance in the perth test is is also something that i rate extremely highly and i think uh, the the best parallel to that is is this series and because this series comes then with another couple of outstanding test matches i think we could sort of like elevate it right right to the top and i just want to add that for me it's in all my years of following indian cricket this was my favorite and this was the best uh mainly because it happened in australia you know as a as a 90s kid i grew up scarred by the <laughs> 1999 tour <laughs> india got walloped uh the 2003-4 was actually pretty good uh, you know steve was farewell test i was really hoping that india would pull off a win on that day but i think i think it was just written in the stars that steve had to play that one last uh rear guard knock 2007-8 that that was it wasn't great i know there was a lot of controversies and ugliness between the two teams um and and i know that india won in was it 2018 2019 yeah 2018 um, 2019 yeah it, but it felt very anticlimactic at that time because i think india lifted the trophy after like the rain delay and you know it wasn't the same but this for me was uh it, it just topped the charts for me just because of everything that happened in each game you know after that 36 for 9 uh followed by rahane's uh century the next test and then that tremendous rear guard action by Ashwin and Vihari uh and then by the time we came to the gaba 
<laughs> we barely, we're just like looking around to say, okay, who's still standing? Let's just, you know, <laughs> fill the leaven with them. And I remember telling a friend at that time, you know, I, I, I will take an Australia win at this point because India shouldn't be winning this game. They have no right to win this game because the the players that they are putting up against the Australians, like they are nowhere close in terms of experience or quality. Um, and then fast forward to day five, it's like, I think it was like midnight, around midnight here in the US East Coast time uh, when that last hour, the last couple of hours, and I'm wide awake, my heart is beating so fast and I'm refusing to believe as Rishabh Pant is like playing that knock, I'm refusing to believe that India can still win this game. And I, I remember when like a couple of wickets started fo- following, uh, I think Mayank Agarwal got out and I was like, yeah, yeah I knew it. India are going to lose. And that, uh, and then Washington uh, Sundar plays this no look uh, shot. And I'm like, okay, India's doing this. <laughs> and those are unmatched feelings. And that's what I feel like cricket fans live for to, to get those feelings. And that doesn't happen often. And as much as India win, you know, both at home and away, even like the limited overs, like nothing matches that high of like at the end of a well-fought test match or a test series to walk out as winners, especially when in the middle of adversity and everything, all the obstacles in your way. Um, and as Indian cricket fan, I, I cannot think of anything that has come close before or since then. It's it's interesting. I mean, I, I agree. I, I do think the, this series is probably India's uh, my favorite series that India has played. Um, but what's funny is I was one day randomly looking at two thousand one um, series and just looking at the stats. And uh, I mean, everybody remembers yes, Matthew Hayden and Harbhajan Singh had great series. And I was trying to remember who else was in India's bowling lineup, and. It was nobody. Like the highest wicket taker after Harbhajan Singh at 32 was Saurabh Ganguly with four wickets or three wickets, something like that. And I was like, how did we win two test matches with one bowler? Like that just blows my yeah. mind. So there's there's really great context from that as well. It's 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 funny because I you know I'm, I like to look at the numbers and understand what's happening in the cricket, but. Sometimes I just sit back and think, wow, this is an amazing story. Like, we don't need to look at the numbers for this one. And that's kind of what I feel about both the 2001 and and this recent series. Um, so, you know, that way, it's just, uh, that's exactly why, you know, as I said, like, uh, yeah, those odds, all of that, as much as I wanted to believe in the fact that, yep, it's likely going to be a draw, Australia might win, um, all of that consider like just the fact that you know all those stories were there just like Benny I was awake at 2 a.m whatever the time was and um it was a Sunday night I remember because I was like I have to get up early for work tomorrow and I was like oh screw this who needs (laughs) and you know we just kept going um just just fascinating and and yeah I, I think we I think as fans it's it's probably a once in a decade sort of situation. I, I I'll be surprised if we see another close series like that in the next decade. I mean, also obviously there's other things to consider. There's India who's already starting to transition. Australia is probably going to be transitioning soon. So I, I think the peak of the teams is also going to be you know a while from now. Yeah. 
So considering those factors as well, it's probably going to be a while before we have a really close um, away test series like this. But uh, but yeah, the, I think the fact that it went right down to our last session of you know fifth test and and all of that, it all added to the drum. Right. And and uh, since you mentioned about going to work next Monday, so I was in the unenviable position of being in the middle of the workday. Uh, and, and I very clearly remember I essentially said, I think it, it ended around uh, a little past noon India time or, or thereabouts. And I essentially uh, told the office, I was actually away uh, from Bangalore. I was back in my hometown uh, and I was watching with a cousin of mine. And I essentially messaged the office and said, guys, look, I'm just taking it off now. Uh, I'm not going to be able to work for the rest of the day. Um, because they, because that's how the, the the feeling was right like like you're mentioning absolutely um, well we we can talk about this series without talking about you know three people who are out of action unfortunately right now one is of course Ajin Kerhane who we talked about a little bit before the second is Rishabh Pant um, highest scorer in this in this series and the third of course is Bharat Arun you know the the architect of India's fast bowling reserves over the last many years. Um, I mean, obviously, I want to talk about their incredible contributions, but I also want to talk about them from Bharat's perspective, you know, from a journalist's perspective, how they interacted. Uh, you already mentioned that, you know, uh, Bharat Arun was clearly very um, candid and comfortable sharing a lot of things with, with journalists, well, at least Bharat and Gaurav. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll let you jump in and, and uh, take it away. Sure. So I think there aren't... Um a lot of instances of, uh, let's say, a Pant or a Rahane uh, specifically interacting with Bharat, but uh, Bharat has this great ability, which is almost bordering on a superpower, uh, <laughs> to be able to sort of observe things at uh, at the nets and, and behind the scenes. I mean, obviously, everybody's observing what's going on in the field of play, and everybody has uh, their own perspective and uh, angle and filter to it. Uh, and there are journalists who are observing behind the scenes as well, but Bharat has this unique knack. In fact, uh, I think Melinda Farrell was also mentioning the same thing, saying uh, we were having a discussion with her about uh, the famous slash infamous photograph that he put out of uh, the the pitch at Nagpur, uh, which spooked <laughs> spooked the Australian <laughs> side out and might have played. Uh, not insignificant role in the in the result in that test. Uh, so he has this ability to sort of observe like these small things and be able to tie them back to, to larger things. So that's where I think his uh, yeah, insights come in from. So when he talks about Pant, I think he he wrote a great piece about uh, Rishabh Pant and uh, when he was batting in the nets uh, through through pain in the uh, in the arm. And uh, he talks about this moment where Rishabh Pant essentially is just talking to himself. He's giving himself a pep talk. And he just kept telling himself, hey, I think, again, you are familiar with that, uh, with that right. bit in the book. Um, so I think speaking of, of Rishabh Pant, he's always been this, this character who uh, kind of believes quite being uh, himself. I know it's a bit of a cliche to say that, oh, this is somebody who's, uh, you know, unabashedly themselves and uh, expresses themselves very freely and things like that. But he 
he truly does that. Uh, he does not differentiate between uh, when having a net session vis-a-vis -vis when he's playing out there. Because I think in one of the net sessions, he just screamed out loud saying that uh, match may be Messi Kelega. You know, because it's uh, no, oh, sorry, that was uh, uh, Siraj, I think. But uh, and then Pant also uh, kind of uh, said something similar where he said that how I'm batting in the nets is how I'll be batting um, out there in the middle. Um, so I think the observations mostly come through, come through those. Uh, I think the chapter on Rahane is an absolutely fantastic read. Uh, and, and I cannot recommend it highly enough uh, because it gives an insight into somebody who has not been discussed as much uh, or has not been looked at as much as um, as both a player and a leader. Here he had to step up uh, because of the circumstances, obviously, because Kohli had to leave. And uh, even in that taking over, uh, his leadership style, like Benny mentioned earlier as well, the, the whole contrast of where uh, a Kohli is extremely ex expressive, in your face and upfront, uh, and and very and and I say this in the in the broader sense of the term, very explicit with what he wants somebody to do or uh, what he expects out of somebody. Whereas uh, Rahane is kind of the opposite. There is there is a a bit of a zen about him that he doesn't sort of he seems to drown out a lot of the outside noise. Uh, but at the same time, in Bharat's descriptions, what he comes across is somebody who's very. Uh, astute in paying attention to detail, uh, particularly to his own players on the field, especially when he's captaining. So looking at, uh, picking up cues from body language, looking at players, thinking if somebody is uh, probably feeling a little down, probably feeling a little demotivated, going and putting uh, his arm around their shoulder, talking to them a little bit, you know, things like that come out about him. Uh, and I think he also has this quiet ability to go ahead and take ownership of a situation. Uh, it's not talked about as much in the book, if I if I remember correctly, but I'm sure the uh, whole fiasco of him running Kohli out in the first test uh, in Adelaide, where things could have been, you know, dramatically different if that had not happened. Uh, that that remains a bit of a what if of this series uh, would have been playing on his mind. Uh, when he had to lead the team out in in Melbourne, and then again he comes in, plays that fantastic knock in the in the first innings, scores a hundred, uh, and in the second innings he essentially went and said, "We have a small target to chase, and we cannot let uh, the target bog us down. We cannot uh, sort of try and play it uh, safe," which is why he went and played a few of the shots uh, himself to make sure that. Uh, India got home without without any trouble. I think with what one twenty odd to chase or or thereabouts. Right. Uh, so both of those things uh, come out through through the descriptions. Um, and uh, thirdly, coming to coming to Bharatarun, right? Uh, I think Bharatarun's story is something that that I think deserves a larger larger canvas as well. And I think someday, hopefully, somebody will. Uh, delve a little deeper into his own journey because uh, his journey was essentially somebody who was a prospect for India and also represented India but very briefly 
uh, and then uh, injury forced him into an early retirement. I think uh, by the time he was 30, he had retired. Uh, and then he decided out of the sheer passion and love for the game that he has to sort of pay it forward to, to the next generation. That's how he got into coaching. And then he became a fixture at the, at the NCA. And uh, because of the long-standing relationship that uh, Ravi Shastri and him had, you know, from having been teammates uh, and and a long-standing friendship, is how he got elevated to the uh, to the bowling coach role, because he essentially Ravi Shastri called him, I think, from from England, and he said, "Kyo bowling coach banega," and he said, "Like you, you can't say no. You have to you have to become <laughs> the bowling coach, right?" Uh, but what stands out about Bharat Arun is again. Uh, something we discussed a little while earlier about trust and empathy, that he says it uh, as well, that what he would like to do is work very closely with people, uh, sort of establish this bond of trust so that uh, the, the coach and the, the mentee are both on the same page that anything they are discussing is to their overall benefit. Because otherwise it can get uh, sometimes awkward or, or adversarial or slightly uncomfortable. Uh, that, I don't think, is is an equation that Bharatarun has with anybody. I think with, with all of the, the, the new crop of bowlers that you're talking about, from uh, Bhuvaneshwar Kumar onwards to to even uh, a Shami or a Numesh and all of these guys, uh, they, they seem to have that uh, uh, the trust. So I think the three things that drive, so to kind of like cap your question about the uh, the three people that we are talking about here, who currently are not part of the setup for various reasons, uh, but were extremely key, not just in that series, but also the legacy that will be left going forward. Right. So, so Rahane, with sort of this step back behind the scenes uh, sort of attitude, Pant with that sort of being always wanting to be in, in the spotlight and and owning up to that, but also at the same time being extremely eager to learn uh, because there's a great anecdote in the book about how he was tongue-tied to meet uh, Adam Gilchrist. Um, that he said, how can I meet my idol? Like, I don't, I don't want to go talk to him. Um, or there is another situation where he's playing Ashwin in the nets and he's uh, asking him after playing a, a relatively tough delivery, saying, Thik like that that sounds very punt uh, that he's is very grounded but at the same time when it comes to uh, the field he doesn't take any prisoners uh, and then there is Bharatarun who with this accumulated sort of wisdom over the years has uh, perfected the art of what being a being a mentor and a coach means so i think those those three were like very important ingredients uh, overall yeah and i think the I, I feel like I still have a lot to learn about Rishabh Pant. Uh, but the two anecdotes, I have one anecdote each on Rahane and Bharat Arun, which are pretty revealing. And one was uh, during one of the practice games on this tour, um, Prithvi Shaw was fielding at short leg and one of the batters played a sweep, which hit him on the pad and uh, didn't hit him on the shin or knee or anything like that. But Prithvi Shaw was about to you know, use that as an excuse to sort of walk off in the field and, you know, get a little bit of a breather. And Rahane put him right in place and he said, I, I saw where the ball hit you, nothing doing, you're, you're going to stand right there. 
And so it, it shows, you know, somebody who's comfortable of putting his foot down. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't, he knows he doesn't need to do it all the time. And, and the, that, that requires really good balance and, you know, just understanding of the context and the situation. Uh, I think from that aspect, Rane was, you know, a fantastic leader. There's little doubt about that. Um, and and Bharat Arun also has this really wonderful anecdote with Jaspeet Bumrah, where he, um, Bumrah, and this is the series before, the, in 2018-19, where Bumrah is bowling his heart out, but he knows it's a flat wicket. So he goes up to Bharat Arun at the end of the day and says, tomorrow I'm going to bowl at 80%. Because I feel like it's a very flat wicket. There's nothing happening. I don't want to injure myself. Something to you know that extent. And he Bharadharan talks him into realizing that if he bowls at 80%, then Sean Marsh plays him well. The next time, then Sean Marsh faces you, he's going to be confident. And that's all he tries to say. He doesn't say you should put in 100%. And Bumra himself comes to the conclusion, yeah, probably I'm going to put in five, uh, my full effort for five overs and then take a break. And of course, in those five hours, he gets Sean Marsh's wicket. So he's got a very nice way of sort of guiding without pushing, which is what, you know, is what all great man managers do. Like, I think that's, you're, you're guiding people without really making the decision for them. And uh, it really speaks to Bharadharan and his years of experience and what, uh, you know, how he's managed to make that happen for, for the Indian team. The one uh, one question I've, you know, thought about as I reflect on this book and, uh, and the series, of course, is uh, just all the youngsters, you know, Shubhan Gill with his belief, Washington Sundar on that last day, um, it, you know, it's just, it just amazing, but I have to imagine that these youngsters going into these situations have no sense of baggage. It, it, at least it feels that and uh, I, I find that fascinating uh, because if, uh, you know, most people in those situations would think, oh, wait, I have one chance with half the team injured. I must make this count. And these guys absolutely were not thinking of that. Obviously, it credited support staff, Rahane, and everybody for creating that environment where they weren't like thinking too much or doubting themselves. Um, but what are your thoughts about just how the youngsters perform right from, you know, Shubman Gill, Rishabh Pant, uh, Washington Sundar, uh, and even the lesser experienced players like Tina Prajan. Yeah, I think so. Like you rightly said, that uh, firstly, it had been established by the, the coaching staff and, and the support staff and the think tank and the leadership that, uh, look, if we are going to get these guys in, they should not have to worry about that, that sense of baggage. So they'd already been given the impression that even if India does not win the series, they've already done well enough. And that was well before the GABA test, actually. I think even, even uh, during the MCG test as well, uh, as the injury started happening and as some of these guys needed to be blooded, uh, it was already being made very clear to them in the, in the dressing room, number one. So that obviously leaves an impression. Because you know, if I could speak from my experience, I've often worked with teams uh, which have very... Uh, young and inexperienced members. I currently work with one where, uh, you know, I'm the oldest member by, by far because the rest of my team is, you know, 25 and under. Uh, and uh, the one thing that, that I uh, kind of try to implement is obviously within, within reasonable limits and, and making sure that it does not sort of hamper the larger picture is to try and tell them that 
experimenting and failing is is not the worst thing uh, and trying to instill that idea that if you experiment and you do fail uh, how to move on from that which uh, i think provides that uh, clarity of uh, of thought that all right we have got uh, the the process in place uh, I, we've got the technique in place uh, and then we just go and try and execute this and if it doesn't work you know big whoop we move on to the to the next uh, next iteration of this i think something similar may have played out with uh, how these guys were thinking and obviously there is a uh, there is an aspect of uh, sheer uh, conf confidence and and the fact that they were no, they did not seem to be phased by all of this uh, that would probably be harder to explain in in rational terms because it's it's sometimes something that uh, tends to be innate that you just go in you know if uh, currently if i again think of myself i i have years of experience in in a particular industry but even today if there's a big client meeting i still kind of feel a little jittery that oh would i be able to do this and uh, you know would they, would this fly uh, and that's the thing that these guys did not seem to have i think another aspect that may have played into it and we can always conjecture especially with relation to somebody like a washington sundar or even an atrajan and all of these guys is that they kind of also knew that this was probably the only you know uh, immediate opportunity they are going to get to play a test match uh, because in the larger scheme of things their career paths and their roles are defined more in the white ball uh, white ball arena right and i'm guessing the team management had mentioned that to them as well so they they truly had nothing to lose out there which which may have just sort of allowed them to just uh, go and again at the risk of you know bringing in cliched phrases like go and express themselves just have fun out there in terms of what they, what they were doing um which could have uh, led to what what you were mentioning right that uh, these guys uh, feeling no pressure uh, at all right. or not having any any baggage i think baggage is the right term here that they kind of are free of all of those other artificial restrictions so they just can come and live in the moment because i remember that was the one thing that stuck me throughout the fifth test and why i said at the beginning the fifth test is personally most memorable for me and that's what i wrote in that uh, in that blog that i immediately wrote after logging off work <laughs> immediately after the game finished um is that the whole idea of dismantling a fortress is not like it does not go down in one blow it's just somebody repeatedly uh, doing something and these guys seem to right. be repeatedly doing something in the moment where they're not thinking too much of what's going on ahead like how if you run like a long distance race you know if you're thinking of where the finish marker is uh, your mind gets way more tired quickly than than your body does uh, whereas if you're just thinking oh i'm just going to do like the next 100 meters or 200 meters and keep doing that suddenly you were right at the finish line just like india was you know for sure it would have been um it it would be an interesting thought experiment to see to to know or analyze if if all the ma major the big players were not injured would the result have turned out that way if like the bumras and the ashrins and the kohlis were were available for the whole series would it 
would the result have still been the same? Uh, we don't know. The the answer is like it probably wouldn't have been that close, and India would have won. But you know, for all the points you made, you know, I feel like this series was the everyone, you know, from the players to the management, it was a case of the right people being there at the right time to create something that will just be a, 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 a historic series. Like, you know, these players, uh, you know, they can retire tomorrow and they can live off the rest of their life with their stories about the series. That's how memorable it is. And I really wish they make a movie about this. Uh, I, would, I would love to watch it. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading the book. So even as we wrap this up, uh, what is your take on the book as a whole? Like what I know you've already, I, I think the consensus is that it's highly recommended and, you know, everyone should go <laughs> get that book. Uh, but w- what is your take on the book as a whole? What is your take on this book as a testament to one of the finest uh, series win, uh, wins for India? Right. So uh, the, the number one thing that I would mention is that I have a bit of a personal bias towards the book because I'm an ops person. So I absolutely love details and, and uh, behind the scenes stuff. So any, anything, anything that kind of brings out behind the scenes or lays bare uh, details of a process, uh, I'm immediately interested so that's the one thing that kind of drew me into the book. That's that's what hooked me into the book because originally, to be perfectly honest with you, when the book was announced, I was thinking, oh no, not another piece of media on, you know, a series on which they have like tried to make two documentaries and they haven't been that great. One of them was slightly better than the other. But then I realized that uh, because it's, it's uh, Bharat and Gaurav and because they're sort of personal tales are very intertwined with this. They were, you know, crisscrossing the whole of Australia covering this. And because they brought in that flavor is where I got interested. And once I picked up the book, I just read the first chapter, which was about, the, which is not even about cricket. Uh, I think it's about the COVID protocols and uh, every bit of detail about how difficult it was for the players during self-isolation, etc. And I was all in right there saying that, oh, great, this is uh, a proper uh, behind-the-scenes look, uh, a proper understanding of all the kind of processes and everything that that goes in. Because like you said, the series is lightning in a bottle. It probably has happened once. It probably would not happen again. And this book does a great job of capturing that. And I think what is particularly special about this is it's not necessarily the writing because a lot of it is fairly straightforward stuff. It's not as if it is, uh, you know, uh, decorated with with uh, very flowery and great prose, or it's not necessarily very evocative, although the story almost writes itself in that sense. Uh, but what's, what's special is uh, how both Bharat and Gaurav, and particularly Bharat, because he's, I've seen his other writings as well, that he's able to sort of take these technical aspects because what you observe in the nets is you have to be uh, pretty experienced to be able to see what is what is going on or to able to to be able to decipher why somebody is doing a particular uh, let's say exercise in the nets or the discussions themselves but he takes that distills it down and then simplifies it uh, for sort of 
being accessible to a, to a larger audience, which I think is the greatest achievement here. And, and that's why I think it will remain a very crucial uh, uh, narrative and piece of literature for this series in particular. I'm sure there will be more books about the series. And I'm sure there are like other aspects of the series and larger context, et cetera, that needs to be covered. But as a first draft of history, as they say, uh, I think this this stands on its own. It's um, the, the one thing I'll, I'll mention is from a, a travelogue type of book, you know, like a, a book which says, you know, I traveled and watched the series and here's some insight. I, I think my favorite still remains Rahul Bhattacharya's Pandits yeah. from Pakistan, which is an absolutely phenomenal book. Um, but, but the reason this book is very important is PCCI uh, in India and I guess the, the, in the subcontinent in general does nostalgia very poorly. Um, so as an example, and this has been talked about by many on, on Twitter, that the, after the iconic Kolkata test, um, Australia has visited India six or seven times at this point, and they've not played even once at Kolkata. So like there's there's not really, you know, there's a very short term view on what needs to be produced, what needs to be done. And that's the reason why we see, you know, goalie coverage all the time, because it gets the clicks, even if it may not be, uh, you know, what what we need to cover. Uh, so I think from that context, books like this, books like Arshridhar's book, um, Ashwin's YouTube series, which I refer to, uh, you know, Tariq mentioned the documentaries, um, those all play a big part in letting that story live on uh, because I think, you know, that's how we will remember the value and, and we probably will remember the value anyway, but that's how the next generation is going to remember the value and understand the context of this win. Um, so I think from that perspective, this is an abs a, a, a must read for sure. Perfect. You know, um, as much as you know, India or by extension, I guess the BCCI is probably not the greatest at really making use of this and, you know, like, like you, like you said, not great at marketing nostalgia. Uh, I feel that this generation, the social media generation, especially as we all followed along on Twitter and Reddit and Facebook, you know, there are so many images and video clips that will live on and I feel there are going to be many retrospectives in the future you know we'll do the five-year anniversary 10-year anniversary 20-year anniversary we'll have Washington Sundar Tina Trajan uh, reminisce about the time they played a huge part so I'm sure uh, and there's just so much to talk about we didn't even like uh, talk about Tim Payne and his role you know his memorable uh uh, invitation to Ravi Chandranashwin <laughs> to come to the GABA or to see him at the GABA. So, you know, th this series, th there's just so much to talk about. And I think we've just about scratched the surface. And I think uh, based on whatever I'm hearing from you two, I think this book will also be great for people who want to revisit uh, that that series. So uh, for our listeners, we, we will include the links uh, to the book, The Miracle Makers uh, by Baris Vandarasan and Gaurav Joshi. Uh, but also uh, do give Tariq a follow. Uh, we'll put his uh, Twitter link in our uh, episode show notes and uh, the link to his uh, WordPress uh, blog as well. Uh, but Tariq, thank you so much for making time for us and um, 
coming and sharing not just your thoughts on the book, but the thoughts on the series. I feel like I can talk about it uh, all day long. It's just it's just my favorite series of all time. So uh, I'm so uh, I'm so glad that you made the time for us and were able to join us today. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure to be here. And uh, thank you for inviting me because this was. Uh... This is a great conversation. And like you say, I could do the same, that talk about this series, <laughs> possibly going through the entire day. We shall do. Maybe we'll do the five-year anniversary episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tariq. Thank you for listening to an episode of The Last Wicked. Do check out other episodes on your podcast app of choice or at thelastwicket.com. This podcast is a Cricket Guys production featuring your hosts, Benny and Mike. And if you enjoy this podcast, do let a friend know, rate and subscribe on your platform of choice, follow us on your social media feeds, and leave us a voice message if you would like to share your thoughts with us. Thank you again for listening. And from all of us here at The Last Wicket, stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you.